you know, you look, we, we had two a little over $2 gas last year. Now we're over $5 and that's, that has a lot of people amped up. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Working in the energy sector as executive security or executive protection, today, John Moss and myself, we are delighted to be welcoming Don Silvestre, former security operations manager and executive protection advisor at ExxonMobil out of Texas. Big topic, energy, very, very topical at the moment, John. Why are, are we excited about today's episode? Well, I mean, I'm excited because I've never worked in the energy sector uh, in any capacity. Uh, there has been opportunities in my career time. You know, energy's been a big thing. And obviously, we've had the the Iraq oil fields and so on. It's, it's never been a place that I've worked in. So I'm really interested uh, to hear about this and get the experiences of somebody like Don. Absolutely. And there's a lot of places to slot yourself in as a protector you could be protecting people upstream uh, downstream uh, in the refineries uh, you could be uh, looking at uh, inside a threat you could be looking at uh, travel risk management you could be looking at all sorts of areas of the energy supply chain and i'm sure you'll find a different flavor which is why it's so great that we're welcoming don because he has worked uh, all over that uh, that energy sector and um, what do you think we're going to you know sort of investigate because i think rather than just blindly saying you know what's it like in the energy sector what do you think will be of real value for our listeners well, that's a great question. You know, and when I think about the energy sector, there is a tendency to think of it as a big black hole because I've not worked in that area. But ultimately, you know, we know what protection is. We know what security is. We know that it essentially comes down to either protecting people or places. And so, you know, as you just said, with the energy sector, there's different things, different um areas on that range on that spectrum and that's that's where it's more nuanced and different perhaps to a different industry such as you know the financial sector and so on so it'll be really interesting to get those different perspectives so that it can paint a picture for the rest of us who haven't worked there and that's the key isn't it because it's a hot topic people are interested but maybe they don't know where to start um, obviously, very political at the moment, the world over, prices here, prices there, and uh, and, and sort of availability. Uh, so, so, so certainly a lot of scope uh, to investigate. Now, it's not just Texas. I know we're invest, you know, we're inviting a Texan on board, but but this is a topic which I'm sure people will find synergy with the world over. Uh, so let's get into it. Welcome, Don Silvest, former security operations manager at ExxonMobil, and we'll investigate the energy sector for you, our fantastic protector community. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine.
Executive protection in the energy sector. Today, we are honored to welcome Don Silvest, former Executive Protection Advisor and Security Operations Manager at ExxonMobil, currently Security Consultant. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Great, great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, John and I are thrilled to have you on, and I know you've uh, spoken at many Texas events, and you have a great perspective in this sector of the security industry. So let's get into it with our sort of three quick-fire questions to uh, enliven the debates, uh, so to speak. So, so number one, what's the sort of current state of play with executive protection in the energy sector? What's the problem that you think perhaps needs to be uh, solved and addressed? Well, I think activism is probably one of your biggest concerns in the in some of your your activists that really want to bring harm and and, and damage to infrastructure and to executives are, are probably some of the greatest concerns in the in the energy sector. Very good, very concise, and maybe we'll we'll explore that throughout uh, this uh, podcast. But what about you? Obviously, we know why you're here, and we're very pleased to have you. But can you tell everyone a little bit about your background? Where does your passion for this uh, sector come from? You know, I I started uh, in law enforcement at a at a very young age and migrated from Louisiana to Texas in the in the early eighties. And back in the early nineties, there was when uh, during a presidential one of the presidential elections, I was I had held rank with the sheriff's office in East Texas, and I was asked to participate in some of the protection of, of one of the candidates that was running for president at the time. And so that kind of so did intel because of our backgrounds in the area. And, and I was assigned to a narcotics task force and our intel backgrounds in, in, in East Texas and such. And watching these guys do the protection around the presidential candidate stuff so really piqued my interest in that at that time. And, and what about the energy sector? How did, how did that come about? <laughs> I, uh, I, when I retired from law enforcement, I moved up to Dallas and I wound up working for a, a, a high net worth family and actually wanted to travel a little more. And it was just kind of a, a happenstance that someone called me up and, you know, everyone knows that I work for ExxonMobil. Uh, they called me up and said, hey, ExxonMobil, the, the guy that's the president right now is about to become the chairman and the CEO, and would you like to submit your resume? They're looking for a, a, a protection guy for him. And I said, sure, why not? And here I am. Perfect. Well, that, that seemed to align um, beautifully. Um, and, and, and then what about the protectors out there who have not yet worked in the energy sector um, and are completely uninitiated in, in sort of that field? What, what should they better understand about working in energy? That's a that's a really great question, and I believe it it applies to every industry. If you if you're interested in in the energy industry, then you need to go look and see what their challenges are. Who who are their adversaries? Who are who are you looking at? Who are you protecting against? Because you know, it, over my years, activism was was a, a big uh, who we protected against. Uh, there were some employees and employee groups that were activist, activists as well, as far as union labor and that sort of thing that, that would, would have a gripe against upper senior management and that sort of thing. Then when you, not as much here in the United States, but when you travel out of the country, then you're looking at 
it a much higher profile as far as kidnap threats and that sort of thing as well. So Don, uh, I'm just wondering right off the bat, so you've obviously worked, spent a lot of time working in the energy sector. How does that compare to other sectors that protectors commonly find themselves in? What what are the big differences? If, if I was, I, I've never worked in the energy sector. If I was to uh, transition across tomorrow, what, what are the biggest pointers that you could tell me to sort of ward me off to prepare myself for that adjustment? And for lack of a better analogy, I'm going to use a police officer and a fireman. Everyone loves a fireman. They rescue the cats and they do all the really fun things and everything. No one likes a police officer because, you know, we police officers are there to arrest you or to to take action against you. Firemen don't. Energy sector, the oil and gas companies are there. Everyone looks at these high gas prices as their fault. It's your fault because we have high gas prices. I can't afford formula for my baby because I can't afford gas to go get it. It's your fault. Some of the other, you you get some of the other sectors, uh, probably health, probably financial sector, not as much because they're, there's just not as much controversy around them as far as, is well, the climate change. There's not as much, you know, as, as climate change is probably a, one of the greatest controversies going on right now. And you never hear of financial services corporations being involved in climate change or not involved in climate change and that sort of thing. Hmm. That's a fantastic analogy, by the way. I don't think you could have painted a better picture, really got to the heart of it very quickly. Really appreciate that. So given what you just said there, and, and that's not something that I'd really considered myself, how long did it take you to adjust to that? And what um, techniques, research, uh, tools did you add to your existing toolkit from those experiences to help you adapt to working in that sort of environment? So let me share a quick story with you. Uh, in 2008, uh, ExxonMobil in, in Nigeria had a uh, convoy that was attacked by uh, a, a guerrilla group over there, so to say. And they they were requesting armored vehicles for the for the for the group and and what could we do to better protect our our workers that were going back and forth along the route so my boss came to me and said hey i would like for you to go over there and look and see if we need armored vehicles think outside the box look at everything you can and see what we need to do so I fly to, I'm going to fly to Nigeria. I fly into Hartfield, Hartfield Airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm sitting there to catch a, my next flight overnight. And, you know, we're, we're talking 15, 20 years ago now. So I was relatively young back then. And there was a 65-year-old woman sitting there. And she and I, there was nowhere, no one around us. And, and we're just, we're having the best conversation. And... She says, so honey, she says, who do you work for? And I kind of looked to the right and I looked to the left and I said, I work for Exxon Mobil. Guys, she jumped five feet in the air and looked like she stayed suspended there for five minutes and went to cursing me for everything she could think of. She says, I haven't bought gas from those 
SOBs since the Valdez. They are the scourge of the earth. They're the worst of the worst. That was a turning point for me. And the biggest thing I learned was I, it, from that point forward until now, I'm proud of who I work for now. I never told anyone who I worked for or what I did. I always went, I, re, I resorted back to my narcotics investigator days and assumed a different personality, a different persona. I was someone else whenever I traveled and did my, my work and that sort of thing. And that's the, one of the things that you have to be very low key about what you do. And that's what, it, that's, that's, that was my greatest takeaway of being is to be low key. Mm, yeah, totally. I think um, it, it's unfortunate, isn't it? That in our industry, a lot of the time, it really pays to be slightly withdrawn to be the gray man. And, and I say uh, it's unfortunate only because um, you know, sh the ability to share our experiences in a larger community, which is obviously one of the things that we really try to do here with the podcast and, and the magazine, uh, it, it's really to everyone's benefit. And, and the more that, you know, we can share, but of course, we're always tiptoeing around these areas. And, and we really appreciate you, you know, uh, be, being so open on the podcast today, so that others can learn from this experience. And uh, from from that, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty much a, an open and closed book on that one. What your takeaway was just, you know, don't talk about it so much. But so I'd, I'd like to move on to the area of activism and perhaps even hacktivism. We might get onto that later. Uh, but now this is this is a more nuanced challenge. This is this is a lot bigger. What was your approach to this, and how have you seen the threat of activism on this sector? How have you seen that change over the years that you worked in the energy sector? I think when in in early two thousand. With, with them in mind, and, and I think it is late. I think when they when the activists went to the home of the C, the chairman and CEO of Shell over in in Europe, uh, if you remember that, they went to his house and in, in, into his yard. I believe you see a much bolder activist now than you did than you did say ten years ago. Um, I don't think. People are as concerned about their actions and the consequences of their actions now as they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I think they've become bolder in what they're going to do. And, and I believe, I believe they, they feel in order to, well, you take your, you take some of the protests and stuff that you see that, that we saw in the past couple of years against law enforcement. And I can see some of the same kind of things, activists doing the same kind of things toward the energy sector is we have to burn something. We have to blow something up. We have to make you see us to hear us. And we're going to go to the extreme and extremism activism is probably the, what, what would be the biggest thing is we're going to do something to make you pay attention to us. Yeah. And at your sort of level, because, you know, let's not forget uh, primarily your, your biggest focus is your principle. I, I assume anyway, that it, it, yes. it's, it's a person or, or a group of people. And so this just adds a whole nother 
dynamic or, or several, you know, aspects to that. So you already, you know, committed and very watchful looking after their physical protection and all the things that can affect them on a personal level. But what you're talking about here is, is even bigger than the company. It's a whole sector. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's yes. a way of life. Yes. Yes. So what, what sort of techniques can you employ to help guard against this threat and in the different ways in which it can emerge and affect you? You know, um, proactive intelligence gathering. I think, I think you have to, I think everyone in, involved in it has to be involved in the, in the intelligence gathering. Um, you know, everything from in, in intelligence gathering can be as simple as reading current events in the news and, and, and on the internet and stuff and see where, what the mindset is in, in an area that you're going to. And I think that's one of the greatest things that one of the, one of the biggest things that you need to do is know where you're going and understand the area that you're going to and, and what makes the people, what makes the people tick, you know? Um, I had a, I had a, a very high level executive one time that was, he was very knowledgeable. He was probably one of the best negotiators, business negotiators that I've ever seen. And he and I had a couple of discussions about it. And he told me that one of the things that, that he did before he went somewhere was he read as much as he could about where he was going, the culture of the people that he was dealing with, the people that he was dealing with, the, if he could find personal information out, what, you know, and then I said, okay, well, that makes total sense because that's the same way as conducting a police interrogation. Uh, a good police interrogator is going to speak with the person for an hour about themselves before they talk about a crime, if they, if they're, you know, if they, if they're good at what they're doing. So the same thing applies. You should, the more, you know, before you go, the better off you're going to be. And, and I think that really brings it to life. And at least at some of our executive protection events, we have welcomed people who specialize in uh, protest intelligence and uh, there's lots of technologies and, and, and fun gadgets that people are sort of offering, you know, my, you know, uh, data aggregators. But but zooming out a little bit and going back, I think to the you know some of the original questions about how uh, today's operator will find the energy uh, sector, um, is there a difference between upstream and downstream? And and particularly, I'm thinking of places um, upstream or downstream that are more exposed because we've heard of the colonial pipeline uh, cyber attack uh, and we've seen uh, exposed pipelines in foreign countries, you mentioned Nigeria, um, people are siphoning maybe some oil or that might be doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, but upstream, downstream, and that whole terminology might not be second nature to the operator, but, but, but I feel that there's an important distinction for them. Uh, uh, what, what, what advice would you have in, in that context? Well, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, most of your, your downstream facilities are refineries and that sort of thing. And they're going to be in more urban areas. Uh, as far as your upstream, your, your wells and, and your pipelines, and you're going to be in more rural areas. So, you know, different what's out there, what, what's the infrastructure like that you're looking at 
and how is it most affected? Um, is it a pumping station? Is it a, you know, is it a terminal somewhere? And we, we've had threats against, we had threats against terminals and that sort of thing. Whenever, whenever, uh, I was with the, with Exxon and that sort of thing. And, and going back to sort of technology and the promise of the gadget uh, or the, you know, the, the threat Intel software, um, a lot of people are, are saying, well, you know, use this and it will make your life a lot, a lot easier. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about your thoughts, you know, moving to the future of the energy sector. Will we be employing robots? Will we be employing more drones? You know, obviously, because uh, you can't get to all parts of the pipeline at once um how is technology going to evolve with the protector because i because i think in this sector it is prime to be used but obviously that's just my uh, my guess they're, they're using more and more drones now from a safety perspective as well as a security perspective and, and yes gadgets for that sort of thing are great from an executive protection standpoint i'm i'm gonna I'm going to kind of stay a, a bit old school when it comes to executive protection. I, I will go back to research, knowing where you're going and your intelligence gathering before you get there. Even if you're going to one of your facilities, you know, you can still have an insider threat in, in executive protection at one of your facilities and, and such. You, you just have to, you have to have a good, strong background in reading people, body language, and that sort of thing. It's, you know, you can have all the gadgets. You can be uh, an expert marksman. You can know all kinds of martial arts and how to take people out and everything. But if you can't read someone and, and understand body language and that sort of thing, you're still going to be behind the curve. Don, you know, I know you're very well traveled and obviously working in the energy sector is going to take you to, you know, a, a real variety of places and a lot that, you know, until you've been there for the first time, you'd be very unfamiliar with. And you're talking there about these old school methods, which, you know, personally, I really appreciate. I, I think it's really important to that we keep that foundational those foundational skills really strong even if the channels that we're using to to get that information perhaps a, a more new school I, I think there's still a very yes. old school approach to to doing that you know investigative research and so I'm just wondering uh you know in, in the energy sector obviously you know it's um it, it's it's a very rich sector you know I I I feel anyway, please correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like obviously, you know, there is money there to be spent. I would imagine there's a there's a decent budget. So what sort of tools did, did you have support? Did you have intelligence people who would supply that? Or was this like literally, you know, all done yourself? Was it was it your own initiative, I suppose, is what I'm asking. And in your your first your first statement there, John, was great. You know, a mix of old school and new school because we have a lot of new tools at our hand, at our disposal and our, at our hands that we can use to gather our intelligence before we go somewhere, Facebook, social media, all these different things. And to, to the second part of your question, most, yes, we did, I won't delve into it too far, but yes, we, most of your major energy corporations are going to have some sort of intelligence group you have to have somebody that's sitting at the helm most of the time 
looking at everything that comes across and, and either you're contracting with somebody to bring in, bring in that Intel and, and stuff. But at the end of the day, they're feeding you this stuff. At the end of the day, it's up to you as the, as the uh, practitioner to look and see what else is there and what, you know, human error, did they miss something? Is, did something just not pop up on the radar? I've, We've had activists show up in rural areas before with us when we were doing a, we were maybe the, the chairman was speaking at a luncheon or something of that nature. And we've had activism, activist uh, university settings as well would pose as reporters or, uh, you know, want to ask a question. And you, you know who they your intel people are going to know who they are. They should, they should, whether you're employing somebody, as, as I say, contract with someone, someone should know who these people are. They should have some kind of profile on them or an idea of, of who they are and, and what they're about and everything and know that they're prone to asking activist type questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine um, in many ways, again, you know, never having worked in the energy sector, but that you know, I come from a military background, you come from law enforcement background in both, uh, in both cases, we're used to working on teams with support, there's this good mm -hmm. infrastructure, yes. you know, and we know the value of communication, it's all it's all about communication, you can have all those assets. But if mm -hmm. everyone's not speaking together, or in the same language, or at the right time, then it's it's to no effect. And, and I think, um, you know, from, from many of our listeners listening to this, this will be quite an alien concept, bar, you know, them harking back to their, you know, service backgrounds if, if they have them. But for a lot of us now, we're, we're out there on our own, maybe on a small team, maybe working one or two up. And, um, and, and I think the idea of having this level of support, you know, would, would be massively welcomed. But it's no use, is it, if the communication's not there, if we don't know how to use it and, and share it in a timely fashion? Absolutely. Abs that, yeah, that, is, that is, yes, I totally agree with you. Unless you're, unless you're communicating with your team, and you're right, it takes a whole team to, to manage all this. And coming from our backgrounds, uh, we, we had a lot of military. We, we've always combined military and law enforcement in a lot of groups. And, and that's not to say that someone comes up insecurity is not worth their salt. They are, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been doing it just as long as we were doing law enforcement or military. But if you don't communicate with one another, you're, you're absolutely, you're spot on. You're not, you're going to, you're going to have failure and that's not going to work out for you. And every, every team member is just as important as the other team members. It's just like a football team. Every, it takes all 11 of them to get that quarterback or that running back the ball and to do things. And it takes everyone to, to, to be a success. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine it's a, it's a two-way feed as well because you're the guy on the ground or you're the guys, the girls on the ground and you're seeing stuff firsthand. So obviously, you've, I imagine there's a, there's a huge download of data coming at you. But then you're the people who are, who can say, you know, is that still the case? Is that still relevant? Has anything changed or updated? So I, I imagine the flow of data coming back from yourself is just as important. Did you did you find that to be the case? Was that well received? Yes. 
Yeah, so you know, and, and that, that's a that's another really good point is you have to have really strong after action meetings. You you need to sit down and and even if you have to call someone at night and say, hey, I saw this today, and you know, are you familiar with this? Can you look at this? Can you can you tell me is is there any changes to this? Is this someone that that we need to be looking at or something like that? This guy Lee seems a little off to me. What do you do? You know anything about him? Could you look it up for us? Yeah, you really have. It's a two. It that it flows both ways. And and Don, I, you know, you, you happened uh, with John before on. You know, it takes a team to uh, solve a problem. You know, uh, teamwork is the dream work type of type of thing. But 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 I think there was also an element of um, duty of care, um, especially to you know to to towards your operators, making sure the right person is in the right place at the right time. And I was wondering if the energy sector is a really good example of duty of care, mainly because just from previous experience of different energy companies, not, not, not yours, health and safety was almost a daily uh, requirement. Some people had to report on other people, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and it, it was that important. And, and you hear, of course, on the rigs offshore, people have to hold handrails going straight forward and, and things like that. And, 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 and maybe that's an extreme case, but, uh, but I guess, is the energy sector a good example for people to sort of mimic in terms of duty of care? Well, I'm not sure of other corporations and, but, you know, we had to do a physical every year. We had to do, we, we had to be, you know, we had to, to, they checked us every year to make sure that blood pressure wasn't high, that we weren't morbidly obese and, and, and that sort of thing. And that we were, we clear of mind and the, the whole, the whole spectrum. That's, that's encouraging. I like that. And uh, it, it, it really does uh, play into the duty of care uh, topic, which is, uh, I, I think, John, I'm not mistaken in thinking, it's, it's really become a, a big, big topic this year. Yes, it has. It has become a big topic. I think, I believe that, you know, when you see positions that become available in other sectors and, and that sort of thing, all the way across, you you see a lot of them that want people that are really fit for the for the position and everything. And and talking about you know current news, current affairs, uh, obviously uh, this podcast will go into the canon of the Circuit Magazine podcast and we'll, we'll forever reference it when we're thinking of the subject energy. Uh, but uh, since we have you here, it'd be lovely to get a bit of word on the street, I suppose, um, with the changes in the economy, with fears, with expectations. Um, what's the the outlook or what's the feeling in, in the security world, particularly in Houston and, and other uh, Texas energy centers? Yeah, so that's a, that's a, I have to think about that one for a second. That's a really good question. What is the, what is the outlook? I, I think there's so many uncertainties in, in our economy and in, in, the, in the outlook on life in general with, with the, all the different people are, people are a little stressed with all the shortages that we're facing. And um, I think that people are more aware of, of, of security. Uh, I guess from a security perspective, we should be more aware of the anxieties that are going on with, with, with the, and, and as it goes to the energy sector, you know, you look, we, we had two little over $2 gas last year. Now we're over $5 and 
that that has a lot of people amped up. You know, people are just really, really anxious about what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And, and unfortunately, our our country has become a bit of an extremism from the right and the left. And you have people that are in, I have no political, I'm not trying to espouse any political views here, but you have people that are far right that are, that are, you know, prepping and what getting ready for the end of times and that sort of thing. And then you have people to the, to the far left that are, they're protesting uh, against the high prices against the, you know, uh, against some of the energy sector. And it's their fault. It's your fault that we don't have this. It's, you know, your fault that, that, that we're in this position. Um, and I think you have, I think you have politicians from both sides, not just one side from both sides that egg a lot of that on. And that paints, a, that paints a, an important picture. And I think that people would, uh, see that reflected in their own geographies as well um, and 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 I suppose that could then lead us on to the question I suppose of uh, possible uh, insider threats uh, maybe with a downturn some terminations maybe some hostile terminations um, what, what do you think uh, John do you think we should explore that in the context of EP well uh, I, one thing is unfortunately but it is the nature of the beast for the industry we work in. When a sector is being hit hard, when there's a lot of threat and pressure against it, when the landscape is changing and becoming more uncertain, it creates a greater demand for people mm -hmm. in our profession. And, you know, so whilst, you know, none of us are happy, I mean, this affects everyone, okay, you know, especially the gas prices. So, None of us are going to be happy about that. But, you know, if we're looking where the next opportunity is going to come from, you know, these are the things, these are the indicators that we're looking for. And so, you know, we can use this information to, you know, as Don has said, to be proactive, to do our research, to, you know, OK, what what do I need to know about the energy sector uh, if I'm if I'm going to present myself like the way Don got his opportunity to put himself forward, you know, obviously you're go you're going to brush up, you you know, and and I think really that's what um that that's what protectors who are ambitious who are on the you know the look to uh you know to to move around in the industry to get a wide gamut uh, of experiences and skill sets. These are the things that you need to be looking out for. And so, you know, yeah, times are hard, but, you know, okay, what what, what can we do? You know, we got to work and where are the opportunities? Perfect. Well, you know, I think I think this is, you know, I, I know that, that, that there's a limit to how much you can reflect on specific uh companies in the industry but 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 i feel that uh, this is this is very worthwhile and 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 i think you know maybe don if we were to reflect on some of the things we've pulled out of today's session what what do you what do you think our lessons would be for the protector that hasn't yet stepped into energy um uh, I, I know there's a lot of things to do with hacktivism and activism and, and things like that but but what 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 can we do to sum up don for the for the protector that's wanting to get into the industry yes and and for what we've been speaking about uh, on this session 
Again, it comes back to educating yourself about the sector to start with as a protector. You you educate yourself as to what you're getting into. And, and I guess it, whenever I first got into corporate security and I joined American Society for Industrial Security, and I, I in 2003, I got my certified protection professional, my, my certification for that. And during that time, I looked at the different sectors as to the pay rate, the pay rates for the for the positions and, and what the average pay was and that sort of thing. And, you know, what some of the requirements were for, say, hospital or medical and, and versus financial versus energy. And for the for the energy sector, I can speak for the energy sector, be prepared to travel be prepared to spend lots of long hours. People think that people view executive protection as a really glamorous job. It can be a very rewarding job, but it's also, it can be very challenging from um, the travel that is involved and the long hours that are involved with, with th that sort of thing and everything. And I just think that, that is, if you, if this is an industry and a sector that interests you, Research, research it, look, look at it and seek out people that are there and learn from them to best prepare yourself for it. Lovely. And, and, and are you open to people reaching out if they're, if they're interested? Yes, I am. I am. I am open to it. I, uh, as you know, we were on the, the panel the other day and, and, I, I mentored law enforcement officers many years ago that were thinking about getting into corporate security and how could I help them and, and kind of guide them along the way. And some of what I just said about looking at the different sectors and think about what it is you want to do. Do you want to do executive protection? Do you want to do investigations? Do you want to do an insider? Everyone kind of, I think everyone, the, the energy sector, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the energy sector is probably has more of an insider threat programs than a lot of the other sectors do. Um, because I, I think we're, the energy sector is probably one of the larger sectors, is it not? Yeah. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, it certainly, it certainly feels like that. Because, I mean, in addition to all the executives, you know, the corporate side of it, you of course, you've got the infrastructure side of it as sure. well. A, a very a very different job, but it's still the energy sector, right? Sure. sure. And, and the energy sector, we're not just talking oil and gas here, we're talking energy. And now we've got so many right. new ways. We haven't really touched on that. And um, we've got so many new ways that we're exploring uh, getting energy, some of them controversial, you know, that that's will raise issues in itself as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I feel if we go any further, we'll get into the specifics of some of the controversialities. And I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, push uh, too many bears or poke too many bears. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I think people understand the complexity that, that, uh, you know, you've, you've had to operate in and, and, and therefore I'm very, very appreciative uh, that you've come on today to sort of help lift the lid, help shine a light and, you know, maybe there will be operators out there thinking, do you know what, this is a, a new passion for me. I want to go into energy, which is uh, which is always delightful when 
and 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 if you are please do let us know because you know it's always nice to see cause and effect with uh, with what we're trying to achieve here um yeah. so so what's next for you don are you going on any big trips any training courses any uh programs um you know, I have a I have a really fun side hobby, and I'm just kind of focusing on that right now. And just I, I don't have anything in the wind that is in the near future. I'm doing some consulting and some helping some some actually some energy sector companies with their executive protection programs and, and giving them providing some guidance and, and that sort of thing. I had a I I was asked a week or so ago if I would mind driving an executive, was it, they were not energy sector. They were totally different pharmaceutical. Actually, I believe is what they were. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll go pick them up as a kind of a, as a more or less a favor. I'll go pick them up at the airport and take them where you need to take them. And so I picked them up, took them to the hotel. A couple of days later, I went back to the hotel and picked them up and took them back to the airport. And, you know, as a security driver, you don't, you, you really don't engage your, your passenger, your principal, and unless you're, don't speak unless spoken to. That's probably the best thing I can tell you. But the person engaged me in conversation said, so what is your background? And we started a conversation. And I, I told them what my background was that I'd been in law enforcement and who I'd worked for and that sort of thing. And, uh, Something else was said, and I said, well, I see that you are this person who is the CEO of XYZ company, and this is the size of your company and what, what your company actually does. And that person was like, I said, I don't mean to sound like I'm a stalker or anything. And they said, oh, no, it means a lot that someone would take the time to look and see who I am. And a really good point here is, take the time to get to know who your, your principal is. You have to, you need to know who your principal is and who you're, who you're protecting sometimes to know who your enemies are. So your enemies aren't always readily visible as activists and that sort of thing. They could be someone from personal life. They could be someone from past life and that sort. So I, I encourage people to, to know who you're protecting as well. Love it. Well, well, that's that's sage advice. And uh, and I think that's a positive note uh, to end on. Uh, I'm uh, encouraged to join the energy sector. And uh, I, I, I really think that our community uh, should at least give it a look. Um, so energy and today's uh, and in fact, tomorrow's protector. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, Don, uh, from John and myself. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you very much to Don Sylvester. I feel like we've had a tour de force around Texas, around the energy sector, and around why this is so crucial for you, the listener, today. Are you excited, John? Are you going to go and work in energy? Well, I don't know if that's going to be my next step. You know, I, I think at this time, there's some really great opportunities for protectors to be uh, targeting this sector there's there's lots of work there obviously you know like we spoke about in the interview whenever an area comes under a lot of scrutiny and criticism 
it's going to need some level of protection or it's going to need multiple levels of protection. So this, you know, does create opportunities for people in our industry. So I, I think, you know, as an industry on the whole, you know, we, we work in this area and like it or not, we have work when things are unstable, when the threat is high. And we accept that. And so, you know, here is another avenue for protectors to work in. And I think if, as Don, you know, really emphasized, if you're prepared to do the work, the research and the investigation proactively, you can really uh, put yourself on the front foot with moving into an industry like this. And with such a large corporate footprint, I have seen personally examples of protectors moving at one level, but there's scope for progression internally. And and so maybe it could be your first step into the world of corporate uh, executive protection. Um, maybe you're a longstanding corporate executive uh, security professional. But but this is certainly an interesting dynamic. And I know every industry has its own nuances, its own flavor. And, and on the podcast, I mentioned uh, health and safety and uh, duty of care. This sector really does embody that. And and I joked, but I know of colleagues in not uh, a company that Don has worked for, but another one who literally have to hold a handrail whilst walking straight forward on a rig. And you're like, why? Well, they, they, they take this into consideration. So um, that's an extreme, but it's nice to see an industry that would uh, provide uh, more duty of care for uh, protectors. Um, but, but of course, this, this is wider than just Texas and wider than oil and gas, uh, electricity, transmission, uh, renewables, uh, production, refinery, bunkering there's there's so many different angles that i feel you could get quite lost in it um but uh but 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 i don't know what 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 do you think we can take away from today's session as to where the protector can start well it's wide open i i think that and, and you know i think that's one of the good aspects of today's interview is to realize that you don't need to be necessarily highly skilled in one particular area or have a vast knowledge of the inner workings of refineries and so on you know but you can relate uh your experience whether that's uh in in the corporate world whether that is more high risk whether that is executive travel you know and so on and, and see how your experience relates to one of these different areas where you could be uh placing that experience inside of the energy sector. I like it because that leaves it wide open for people who have never worked in energy before, pricks up their ears, they think, do you know what? Maybe this is now for me, which is, uh, which is always good as a, as a listener. That's what I'd like to hear anyway. Um, but wider than this, what have we got coming up? I know we've just released an, uh, an issue of the magazine and, and we're doing some great work on the, uh, the app, aren't we? Yeah, there's lots going on with the app. I'm not really going to get into that right now because um, it, it's, well, it's a bit technical for one thing. And I kind of, you know, with these developments, I always prefer to talk about them at launch rather than, you know, to, to build up too much excitement but there you go we've put it out there there's there's definitely some good stuff going on with the apps 
that uh, anyone who's in our communities will benef benefit from in the very near future. Which, which is as true for the NABA Protector app as it is for the BBA uh, Connect app, obviously, uh, you know, very much closely aligned. Um, I'm, I'm really loving the EPHQ, um, although I know a couple of sessions were uh, left out recently, but the EPHQ on the NABA Protector app, that's been really good news. So thanks for everyone who's chimed in there. Um, on my side, I've been doing a lot of online events, uh, many interesting geographies. And in fact, there have been some BBA and NABA members joining those. So thank you very much uh, to everybody who's participated in some of the more unusual geographies, um, especially in the Caribbean recently. Uh, that's been a highlight for me. But uh, but yes, I think I think energy, uh, Dom Sylvester is definitely going to help us out uh, when we do another Texas event. Uh, I think I think there's all to play for, and uh, and you know I'm really excited about the summer. From John and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.